Are you ready to learn more about promoting play, defending childhood, empowering caregivers? Save 10% on professional development at explorationsearlylearning.com and support the show with the coupon code OOL. Click the link in the show notes to browse upcoming trainings. Hi, Candice. Hi, Annie. We are joined today by Nikolai Pissarro of Raising Readers, and we're going to talk a little bit about literacy um, and, and kind of literacy, the STE way. So the self-directed way, um, some obstacles that kind of come up with that, some ideas that come up with that, the feelings. Sometimes this kind of teaching of literacy can stir up a lot of big feelings in parents and educators. Um but yeah, so let's let's get started. Nikolai, will you give us a brief introduction to yourself and your work? Sure. Thank you for having me first and foremost. I love being in community um, with people who the algorithm just put together and then we can <laughs> <laughs> expand on all that. Um, but yeah, I've been doing this work for 14 years, the work of Raising Readers, and really been in front of somebody tutoring for longer than, you know, more than half of my life since middle school. Um, I was a junior consultant tutor with my aunt um, back then, and then again in high school, and then forever. (laughs) Um, So I've been doing this for now a very long time, 30 years. And, um, but over the last 10 years, I decided to start teaching parents. Um, the literacy instruction process, as well as um, brain science and what the brain science field was out there because I didn't feel that that gets trickled down to the parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I've been doing and really doing a lot of work um, at the intersection of race and class as well, because if parents get left out, then definitely Black parents and low-income parents get definitely get left out. So um, that's what I've been doing. Nice. Um, and I guess one of the things I want to jump into first is I feel like, um, this year there've been a lot of headlines about like the science of reading has changed and schools are teaching reading all wrong and, um, jump into that for us just for a minute here, because I think it sounds like that's part of what motivated you also to like switch over to working more with parents. Like there was some motivation there that parents weren't getting the message that we need to hear as far as how to teach our own kids, how to read and, and what's happening in schools. We, we talk a lot about self-directed education, but we also talk a lot about how to be out of line and kind of push back on some of the standards that have come into practice in education. We know there are 50 million kids in public schools, um, many of whom are not learning how to read well. Yeah. So it, it comes full circle because this journey for me started as, as a self-directed learner myself. I learned to read my first language is Spanish. And so I came from a Montessori background and was always, I wouldn't say advanced because it's just what monastery you're at, wherever you're going to be. Um, at some point, my mom decided that me going to an all English school and um, that was inside a military base in Puerto Rico made more sense. And it would give me advancement opportunities to go to an all English school. And so, but that was conventional learning. And when I was there, I was placed in... Um, language as ESL 
ESL classroom. And in that classroom, it was all abilities, all levels, one classroom. And um, I did not feel like I was being treated this, the way that I would want to be in that classroom. I felt that there was, you know, structural racism and just a, and just a lot of misconceptions about what what we were just because we did not fully read and write in English. And so I said that Christmas, I am not going to spend another year in that classroom. And I knew that the way that I would get out of that classroom was to now read proficiently in English. Mm. And so for Christmas, I asked for a speaking spell and a reading spell. <laughs> and um, I asked my mother to get cable because in Puerto Rico, you did not have English um, channels unless you had cable. And I just went on like an all English all the time, right? There's this girl on my bus that called, named Julie and she had um, the lyrics of Whitney Houston songs because her parents had like real records and she would write them and we would be like in the back of the bus. And I was like, okay, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> let me, let me get these lyrics right. And so somewhere between my speaking spell and Cable and Whitney, I was like, okay, now I'm reading and writing, but I need explicit instruction. So I went, both my aunt and my neighbor had English tutoring um, centers. And so when I, so this is why I say I have been in front tutoring somebody is because for 30 years is because I have, because from the age eight to nine, all I did was learn all, every single spelling and grammar rule in English and really be adamant about being taught explicitly. Mm -hmm. The following year I went into, um, a five dash seven, which was in the general, general pop. <laughs> um, but it was like on the lower end of the reading. And then by the set, by the third year, I was in advance and advanced six, six dash two. Right. So this is what we do to children in conventional schooling, which is another podcast. But from <laughs> there on, I had all of this knowledge. And so in middle school, when I wanted to earn money, my first apprenticeship was at the tutoring center. And I did that for two years. And then in high school, it was my job. And so fast forward to, I got, an, great into, I got into a great university. I went to university, I got accepted into University of Chicago. I went there as undergrad. I ended up graduating, I went to Washington University in St. Louis for graduate school. So I did all of those things in the finance sector. September 11 happened, financial sector freezes. And then I went back to like, what skill do I have? that I can always do, right? And so I became a literacy consultant. Um, one summer, my mom has MS. She goes to, you know, she needs my help. I go to Puerto Rico and my aunt lets me do some workshops in her literacy consultant um, firm inside of schools. And when I'm there, I realize it's like, wow, we why are these the workshops? This is like, why are we teaching this teachers like this stuff? Like this is, this is not literacy instruction. Like this is the person who taught me literacy instruction years before. Just like, this is what, this is how we teach reading now inside of schools. And I probably was working with her for like three, three months because I was like, this is just not, this makes no sense to me to do. And she said, well, probably, I said, why don't we just teach the parents instead? 
I to myself. So why don't we just teach the parents because these children will need tutoring. There's no way around this. Yeah. Um, and so that's where the literacy tutoring came for me. Um, in that I said, if this is all that the stu- schools are doing, these children will still be, they, they still need to learn to read. Mm-hmm. And so it, the entire journey has been self-directed. <laughs> yeah. And co- talk about a full circle moment back to your aunt's tutoring center. Yeah. Um, and that 12 years ago, even when I would publish a guide, I published a guide that was like this $10 book that will save our destiny or something like that. It was very dramatic. And teachers would sit, tell my clients, she just wants to sell more guides. Like this is mumbo jumbo, right? This is not how we do it. She's not a real scholar. Like we don't do that anymore. And they would sell them on balanced literacy and discredit systemic instruction. And I would say, well, you know, some people came, some people left. Um, and then, then now this year, people have been like knocking at my door. Even <laughs> teachers have been said, I first heard it from you. 10 years ago, eight years ago, and now it's here. So, yeah. Nothing new, just new to people mm-hmm. <laughs> that have been in denial. But this is how we have been taught, teaching people to read for a long time. So thinking back to your um, your experience as a student, I've been thinking about this a lot lately is the statement that, you know, we have this achievement gap, the achievement gap that everyone focuses on in schools. And what I've come to think is that the schools are actually creating the achievement gap. And I'd love to know your opinion on that. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I think that the achievement gap for many reasons is an instruction gap and a lack of instruction gap. And so when it comes to literacy, I always say like we're creating a disability and we're othering where there is no need, right? It's, it's, it's just, it's not necessary. And what in my experience has done for me is I have been able to see even, like I've done this work of teaching parents even at extended living, kind of um, transient homeless shelters where I'm here, I have a parent who can't even, doesn't have housing and food security. But I can say, instead of operating from that space where you're always anxious because you don't know, like, let me give you a tool because you can teach your child to read. And this is going to, this is really going to strengthen your child's possibility. And a very low literacy parent can then learn the literacy herself, improve her literacy skills, and now have this thing to give a child. And then that child has a skill. So if we can do it, even at that level, there's no, no, no reason why schools and systems um, have not been able to duplicate that and do it on a scale level. And so, yes, there is an achievement gap, but the achievement is absolutely created by ego and just, um, you know, adultism, you know, a lot of other things. And uh, yeah. And just like the, the system is working to keep the system 
active. So I think like, yeah. Like Candace, like your point is like, they've created the achievement cap and it's working for them to, to uphold it. And um, like, you know, a little personal story a few years ago in, in Michigan, they, where we live, um, they passed a law, which has now been repealed, but they passed a law called read by grade three, right? And we'll maybe talk a little bit about why grade three is so important. But so this law was like, if you're not at your, at your um, grade level reading uh, by grade three, you're going to automatically get held back in grade two, right? Because they don't want you to get to grade three without being able to fluently read quickly and, and um, get your tests done quickly and get your good scores and stuff. But so they had this big parent meeting at the school to invite us all in to tell us about the law, which was so odd, right? Because it was like some woman from the district who none of us knew. It was very impersonal. She had a PowerPoint. She went through her slides. She didn't take any questions. She was out of there. And then the school officials were still there to like answer some more questions. My kids went to our neighborhood public school, which over the years had stopped being such a neighborhood school and had what they did to keep it full was make it a cultural center, which meant anyone entering the school district below grade level and reading would start there. So we have a lot of recent immigrants. We have a lot of recent refugees, um, people who are already probably at a disadvantage of navigating all the systems in our society and our community. They don't even know where the local library is. Right. And, and now we're sitting here and they're telling us like, well, you just have to work harder with your kids, like turn everything into a literacy activity. When you say pass the salt at the dinner table, sound it out, which is not too dissimilar to what you're you're teaching us, but they weren't actually giving us any of the tools and it was putting it all on the parents and not like actually educating us. Like they could have had this meeting and, and shared with us some of those tips and tricks to teaching your kids at home and supporting them at home. They didn't even talk about how, um, you know, learning to read in your native language can, can really be a great starting point and then flip it to the, to the new language. Um, they just ignored so much of the science, like you talked about earlier, the neuroscience that you're based on, like wasn't mentioned at all. Um, and, and they also focused on, well, it's up to the principal. So we're not planning to hold anybody back, but it was kind of like, okay, but this law exists and now it's up to the principal. And yeah, like that's a lot of gray area that you're just leaving up to one person. Um, and they've since repealed the law, but it just felt like another way that schools kind of shove the responsibility on parents, shirk the responsibility of their own, but then don't give anyone tools, kids or adults to actually get them reading. Yeah. And, and not, you know, we really cannot have any kind of partnership with parents if we're not, there is no partnership. <laughs> if there's no, uh, if the stakes are not the same or, you know, when you form a business partnership, for example, or even a marriage or anything like that, um, different people will bring different skill sets and will have different roles. But there is like an like equality to that, right? Like there's the hierarchy cannot be <laughs> um, unless if, if the hierarchy is if it's top down and there's um, a power structure that's in place, then we have oppression, right? <laughs> this is what we have found. Or there can be an abuse of power. And so if we're not equipping the parents, if we're not, if we don't have transparency, if we're not saying, telling the truth, if we don't, we're not giving the skills, then even that idea of partnership really is weaponized. Mm. And um, I believe like inside of the system, 
like Hans was saying, we created and like you're saying, okay, we're not being even honest about why some children are not reading by third grade Mm -hmm. and will need to repeat a grade, right? We're not saying that. Or we're not saying what a lot of times when parents come to me and say, my child has to repeat a grade or my child is reading below grade level. And I will say, okay, let's look at your district numbers and see how many children are not reading at grade level. And then let's go from there. Because if you now at this point, you feel like you're the only person and you're the Mm -hmm. only child. And then we look, we can look at the district and it might be the majority. Right. So you're like, well, really? you thought it was just you in, in isolation and now you're stressed out about your child. Mm-hmm. And one, let's think about why they have to repeat the grade or why mm-hmm. they're not reading. Have they been instructed? Mm-hmm. And two, that you're not alone so that you can understand there's no deficit here, inherent deficit in your personhood and your family structure. And we can make it about the instruction and we can look at it. Um, so that's a little bit different. I know, um, in some states like Mississippi, they have a similar law in place, right? If you're not reading by a particular time, then, um, you, everybody does get held back and that's been part of their bigger strategy, but they've been very transparent and they're educating the parent, they're educating everybody else. And before they hold that student back, they do specialized reading for that particular child. So there's a certain level of accountability. I have to be able to really create many opportunities for you to actually read, mm-hmm. right? Before yeah. I hold you back. Now, if with all of those opportunities and all of that support, you still are not reading for whatever reason and you have it, you know, you have a partner in your home, then maybe you do need to spend extra time because, because you will get, you know, ran over and really like, um, othered in other Mm -hmm. grades. Um, that's a little bit different than, Hey, we're not teaching you. We're not talking about it. We're not admitting to that. Then it's on you. And then, you know, parents are teachers and you're the first teacher and it's on you. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a different dynamic. Yeah. And not to get too bogged down in the school stuff, because we really want to talk about like self-directed and the idea of learning, but Candice, you're really good at explaining like, what is the magic of the third grade thing? Like why, why do schools want um, fluent readers by third grade? Will you share that with us? I don't think a lot of parents know that. And I think that's also part of the dishonesty, not understanding where the pressure is coming from. Yeah. So I worked in a charter school where, you know, a lot of charter schools are really focused on test scores and just being the best at, you know, high achieving children and <clears throat> high achieving test scores. So what we did was um, there's some studies that were done that the faster a child can read, the faster they can get through the state test. So by third grade, they needed to read something ridiculous, like a hundred and something words per minute. And I actually tried to do it and I wasn't able to do it. <laughs> and so they start in, in pre-K and young fives and then they move up and, and every year they have to read faster and faster, which really takes away even the idea of a child being able to understand what they're reading. So nobody really cared if they understood. It was just, we have to read as fast as possible. So, yeah, I mean, the idea is that that in schools, they're working up to this like 
fast fluency and in third grade they have to be able to read so that they can pass these tests and that's really that's really it and then in fourth grade they have to pass you know so it gets harder and harder but you know some of these tests they don't they don't measure a child's entire ability right their entire ability to read even and it's just you know, questions, question and answer. And so it's just a very small portion of a child's intelligence or ability to read. Well, and what, and that, what changes about the tests in third grade? Why does it suddenly become more important in third grade? Oh, yeah. And then, yeah, that's just based on the state, like the, the schools are graded in third grade and not, you know, kindergarten for a second. They really start to look at test scores in third grade so that's why it's so important and that law actually got taken (laughs) that I know that law I mean with the third grade reading law it there were so many kids not passing that it was like they can't we can't hold back all of these kids we're not gonna have any kids in fourth grade (laughs) suddenly there's a school of 300 kids in third grade (laughs) yeah yeah so I wanted to say two quick things about that one that is why you would have to the old the reason that that works in a in a space where you're doing the proper instruction is that okay, you will still have a lot of fourth graders, right? So that if that's the minority or, you know, um, but you really can't do it if you're not doing the right instruction, (laughs) the right instruction, you don't have those mechanisms in place. You will not have, this is where the being transparent comes in. That's, if that's 60% of your population, you really have to look at your instruction and what you're doing before you say that as a law. Before, high stakes testing was in place. So I say this because um, the people, the women who taught me were are like in their eighties now. Right. Mm-hmm. So third grade has been important for a long, long time, even before testing because reading instruction. So teachers who were doing reading instruction were not doing reading instruction after third grade. So they were doing reading instruction K and really first grade and second grade, because you really could do it in two, two and a half years. So before the testing that was in place, because after third grade, then you were just learning, um, reading to learn. And so they were teaching your subjects, your content. And that's where, and that's how the math were. Like the first years, um, first grade kindergarten kind of like later on became a part of this instruction. But first grade, second grade were your leading reading instruction years. And then after that, it was more like your content and what children were doing in, you know, social studies and all of that other stuff. Um, and so what happens when you have that model, then you insert the testing across the board. And then that took an, an, a whole other of language and spin about being able to test in third grade. Um, so, yeah. I always explain to parents, like, getting into the SDE side of things, yeah, in fourth grade and third grade, what are the kids doing all day? Sitting down and collecting information by reading. And that's really the only way that they get to learn in school is just through reading, where, you know, in SDE, they learn through living life and they learn through experiences and hands-on experiences and really like, you know, 
yes, they're still reading and they still need to be reading, but they're not spending all day. And that's not the only way that they're gaining information and learning. Yeah. From the, from the, so if we want to switch gears to SDE, um, when I work with parents, my, my reading instruction and what I tell parents is the reading instruction is not for school anymore and not, um, it don't follow the same guideline, but there are developmental needs that a child, a young person will have around eight and nine. And so even though they're not reading all the time and that's not how they're consuming information, when we get to reading, we really get to independence in many ways. And so for me, the reading instruction as a parent and as a SDE parent, and I believe that all parents should be SDE parents, regardless of um, whether they use uh, conventional schooling or not, should be about how do I get you to a certain level of independence where you are able to not just read to consume, but read to interact with the world and not just read, but also write so that you can, um, you know, write your senator, a, you know, a, an email or you can, um, if you were mistreated or if you felt like something happened at a store. I, mean, I remember my son um, feeling very strongly about whenever he was like, uh, there should be stools in every bathroom, <laughs> right? And so for, so he could wash his hands. And, and I have written that same strongly worded email. I feel the email. same way. <laughs> exactly. And so, but and I would tell him, well, you, you can write, right? Like, let me, like, let's go to the email. And so all of those emails, many emails in my household came and were reached a store manager from the lens of a child. And because I, and I, we received so many responses that I think were more, um, the world was more responsive to him as a child, because you can tell the email was written as a child. You can tell it was from a, from a lens. If they called sometimes a manager, two times a manager called us and I was like, yes, he has something to say. Here it is. And he could articulate it because the entire thing was from him. And that's where I tell parents, we equip a child to read and write, not necessarily because we want them to be joyous about reading, because we want them, we want to like superimpose this desire for them to be a bookworm, like any of those things, but because it is a tool for liberation and independence. Mm -hmm. And so how can I empower you as a child to really have a lot of agency in that self-directed learning. And one of those things is to be able to interact with a print-filled world um, at, your, at your pace. So if you have an essay contest or you have a thing, whatever the thing is that you want to do, you have a dog walking opportunity, like somebody from my last cohort where she had to, her young daughter needed to fill an application, but she had not worked on writing, right? So now the natural consequence of not working it was, you know, the application process had to be delayed, right? Well, for this particular neighbor and this particular thing, the neighbor was more than willing to wait for them. But it could have been something else that had some level of like time constraint. 
and the child missing out on the opportunity of being able to apply for the thing um, because that's when they started to learn, right? That's not really a natural consequence. It's a little bit of a lack of forethought as a guide and transparency. It's the same transparency that we say, okay, we want the schools to have transparency with the parents and like give them the science and give them the tools and tell them how it fits into a child's education. One of the things that I do is I use the same transparency with the child. And so I teach the science of reading and the process in the timeline, in the lens to the child. And I say, this is why you need automaticity or this is why you need this or this is why you need that. And it has nothing to do with, um, and we're not, and I'm not doing it because I need you to test. I'm not doing it because I need you to perform for this thing. I am teaching you because I know that you will need it. And when you need it, I want you to have it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So how do you do that in a consent-based way? I think that to me, I think to Candace, like this has become the biggest part of self-directed education is really that consent and non-coercive piece. And um, I think that is still probably one of the hardest things for the majority of parents who enter into this world. And like, you really want to give your kids these gifts. You want to do it in a way that feels safe to them. That feels like it's still being led by their choice. They're you know, how do you find the, the cues that they look like they're even ready to begin this? Um, and yeah, like, how do you keep it within the, the realm of consent? I think about it like this, this is how I explain it to parents. Um, we toddlers and preschoolers, for example, like we know in infants, we know that they learn through play. Right. We know that they have they learn through risky play. We know that if we interrupt that play, they can get, end up getting hurt because once you've added the structure, the child can no longer like follow their own in, like their own internal compass. And so we know that we know that that's what they need to be doing most of the time. But we never say, well, I'm not going to teach my child about personal hygiene because it's going to interrupt their play. Right. I'm not going to teach them about like creating categories because in buckets so that we can keep our house um, picked up because it's going to interrupt their play. Right. And that's going to violate consent. So this is no different. <laughs> it's just that we have taken this tool, which is just as important as personal hygiene and just as important as brushing your teeth and creating some containers so you can put things up so that you don't trip over them so that you don't get hurt. Like, we understand all of these things and we still do them in a way that respects consent. Um, but because we have attached learning to read with a school thing, mm -hmm. we now, we ourselves through our own trauma are like, ah, because we were traumatized and because we were given that lens to school, we're like, we don't want to participate in that thing. That thing is this other thing that we have attached our trauma. So what I say, the first thing that we have to do is we have to heal that. You have to understand that even though schools have taken literacy and they have made it about schooling, literacy is not about schooling. Literacy is about humanity. Mm -hmm. And so when I am creating that, when I am explaining literacy, and I'm also explaining to them the history of humanity, like what we have done, like the reason that like literacy print is an invention, it's a technology, 
right? We give a child a tablet, which is access to a technology because we know that it is helpful. We're not like, did I violate consent? <laughs> no, right? It's helpful. It's a technology. Print is a technology. And so when I'm introducing it to a parent and I'm saying, you're introducing a technology to a child, which we created as humans because this frontal cortex said, you know what? We need some permanency. You know what? I can express this to, you know, I can express my love to somebody in like this thick picture of a flower is not doing it. It's not landing. I need to, I need, I need something else, right? I need to write a letter. I need to do these things. And so when I am introducing literacy print and print awareness and writing, reading and writing, I am introducing a technology to my child and I am separating it from my school trauma. Yeah. I think there's so much of like parents who believe they don't know because they're not teachers. So why would they attempt to teach something that they don't know? Yeah, well, I think I know everything. <laughs> As it relates, you know, me parenting. <laughs> yeah, parenting to me, um, it's a spiritual, it's part of my spiritual practice. And I, I don't just say the, the children that I birth, but children that have been given to me, my client's children, the children in my neighborhood have chosen me. And so um, they're here to teach me and I'm here to teach them. And I know some things, right? So they have gifts to share with me. I have gifts to share with them. And so it is an exchange. It's a, it is a knowledge mm-hmm. transfer, right? And so when I think about teaching, school is a non, is an, is inconsequential to me, right? <laughs> um, seeing anything at schooly or things that should be done in school is inconsequential to me. Like I am here to share gifts and to get gifts shared and then a knowledge transfer and exchange with my children and the children around with people right and so I believe that we have knowledge transfers and that the things that I have lived with the things that I have lived through um and the skills that I have acquired while walking in this you know in this realm are important and the world pays me for them so if the world pays me to do something, like why wouldn't I want to share it for free for a child? And so this is, and I tell parents that, right? The thing that you do, somebody, whatever that pay is, the world is willing to pay you for your labor, for your thoughts, for your gifts, for your time. You can gift it to a child. Um, and you're worthy of doing that. And you're in community for a reason, in divine assignment. You were chosen to do that. They chose you to do that. So do it. Do it. So from that lens, then none, all of it is consent-based. Um, and, and if you're in relationship, really, from that space, I mean, my children listen to me. <laughs> they might not listen to me about bedtime, but they want to learn from me um, because they know that I want to learn from them. And they know that my, I have my, their best interests in heart. We're in relationship. I'm open to them. And when I tell them this is kind of a big deal, like my son says it all the time. Like, I don't know. I just believe you. And I, like, why would you tell me to do something that is not really necessary? And I'm like, I, I wouldn't. And so they listen. And when they have things to share with me, I listen. 
and, and we teach each other things all the time. So when we're operating in that space, there's just less resistance. You just have to operate in that space. <laughs> That's the thing. You know, you have to operate in that space and believe in that space. Um, and the more that you believe it and you're operating and moving from that, then your children will believe you. Yeah, I think to me, that's the biggest takeaway is like you're in, in relation with them. Yeah, I mean, my children, uh, my son is 15 and he's we're starting to crack down on like pre-cal. And he's like, I just, okay. And he's like, I don't love it. And I'm like, no, I don't want you to do it because you love it. Like, it just expands your brain. You know, it's just like, you will feel very badass. You should do it. <laughs> and um, and I, and it will help keep my mind sharp and we will like revisit it. And I don't remember it. I haven't done it in a gazillion years, but it's part of my long-term memory. And like, let's do it. And you may never, never use it. But really quick, um, somebody from my community. So I, the only reason that I ever got into the kind of school that I got undergrad, I'd never give institutions credit because my school did not prepare me for that kind of, when I got into University of Chicago, my teacher asked me to bring my letter because they did not believe me. I was never on a college track. Um, Come on. That was... That was not, um, I, nobody was, my, my family was not preparing me for that. Um, so, but I had a neighbor who was a med student and I had a lot of things going on in my life in high school and my family dynamic. And she said, do you want me to teach you a skill that takes, helps you learn how to take big problems and be able to like simplify them and work through them. And she said, you may never use this skill for math, but you will build your brain to see really big things that scare people and understand that you can go through a process to solve them. And we did what I call calculus therapy. <laughs> um, so that is how I was introduced to mathematics and that is how I process them. And so when I share them with my son to do math, I tell him it's not math for school. It's math because one day I will not be here. And you will tell my story, the story how, of how a neighbor took an at-risk young person that was hurting and passed on the skill that they had to me and helped me work. But that was my therapy. And now it gave me this lens, which now you and my great-grandchildren will benefit from because I can take big ideas and I can say, I can solve them, right? And so it is part of my story. So when we're doing math, we're not doing math because, you know, because theme is the way out of whatever. We're doing it because it is a part of my story and because it builds our brains and we're, it's the relationship. Everything in my household is about relationship. And so we're always inconsistent. And now do we have to do it on a particular day, in a particular time? Um, not necessarily. It has to be within my mom hours because I have to, you know, because I have boundaries. Um, do we have to, does he have to do it? What? No. But before we leave, 
it is a knowledge transfer that I have and that I would like to pass on. And um, my children want want knowledge transfers from me. I want knowledge transfers from them, right? And so I tell parents, just let's heal our educational trauma and like let's step into our assignment and understand that the reason that children, young people live in a pack for a long time as humans is so that there is a knowledge transfer. So let's transfer all the things, our stories, our skills, both, <laughs> our stories and our skills. Let's pass them on um, and see the beauty in that and our evolutionary process in that. Um, and let's not see school in that. Mm. What a human experience, not a school experience, a human experience. Candace, I know you have something to add. <laughs> I don't think I do that. It's just really beautiful. <laughs> I just, I love thinking about that because it's just, it is just, if you're in a relationship with your child and having these conversations, it doesn't, a lot of times we think as parents, okay, so this is how I learned to read. So it has to be really complicated and we have to sit down and do an hour of, you know, reading and I have to teach this and this. And really, if you're in relationship and this back and forth, it's naturally coming through and it's, they're naturally, you're naturally teaching that. Yeah, it's really cool. Like, my daughter the other day said to me, mom, I was, Baba had a shirt on and his name and it had the word home on it. And I just read it. And, and she said, you know what I have? And I was like, what? She said, I have automaticity. She said, she said, I have automaticity. And I was like, okay, tell me more about that. Aww. And she said, you know, automaticity is what you talk about when it's just automatic. Like you have to read it. Like before the E uses, was just, I used to get confused, but now I just see it. And I just know that it's silent and I just have it. So later on, I was like, this is correct. That is automaticity. I'm glad that you recognize it in you. And so later on, we were doing something and had like an OU or that, I don't know. But she was just like, tripped by it. It was a vile team. And, and I was just like, okay, well, let's write it down and remember it. And she was just like, yeah, I don't have an automatic. She's like, I don't have automaticity in all my skills. And <laughs> <laughs> so, but the fact that she knows that there's something that she's going to get that comes through practice that we have had that conversation um, that she just, it's her process to understand. And so she understands the process. She understands the pieces we're going through them. She can recognize I'm there in this area. I'm not there in this area. Um, in order to get there, I have to practice. Those are things that she knows because I'm not superimposing a skill. So the consent comes also in that I am not superimposing a skill without her first having an understanding of why we are working on that skill. Mm -hmm. So how do you have consent to something that you don't understand? Right. Mm -hmm. You don't. And so that's another big part of the way that I share with parents is you want to know the signs of reading. They need to know the signs of reading. You want to work on fluency. They need to understand fluency. Like all of these concepts, the same way that I say schools should have respect for the parent and have that transparency, we should have respect. Like, I don't just say, okay, 
learn this and less practices because I know better and I'm transferring this knowledge or this is the process. This is how this skill works into the process. And this is the outcome. When I do one-on-one tutor, I'd say, do you want to guess in reading or do you want to know? Do you want me to correct this and you just learn it this one time? Or do you want to know the rule so that you can correct yourself and know how to do it all the time? So 80% of the children will say, I want to know. Mm. They want to know. People are like, how do you get kids to, I had a client and I know we're running. She texts me, right? Well, she voice memo me, her mom. And it's like this eight-year-old, Miss Nikolai. Um, I wanted to know why Nicki Minaj <laughs> is spelled with J and not G-E because there's no words in English that end with J. And then I also wanted to know why college is not D-G-E. If you have time, please let me know. Uh, this is a child that six months ago did not want to pick up a pencil. And would had huge meltdowns if anybody tried to make her read. And through the process, like the first two months, all we did was like almost talk therapy, where we just worked through whatever trauma was there. And now I'm like, do you want to know these things? Right? What is this sense of defeat that is has overwhelmed you? Like, where is it coming from? Where do you feel inadequate? And like, let me hear it, let me see it, and then say. I actually have some tools for that. Mm-hmm. I can share them, right? It's going to take some work. There's some things that you need to learn. There are some things that you need to practice. But if you're willing, so am I. Mm-hmm. That's completely different. Now it says I'm making myself a resource that's available to you. And I am in relationship with you. And we are in collaboration in service of your process. Mm-hmm. The level of consent that you get and the level of openness and receptiveness that you have um, with another person, young person that sees a tool and that sees that you're there in collaboration is completely different than when we don't approach it that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so now she knows all about how to spell Nicki Minaj in college. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that's such a perfect example to show that like, it doesn't have to be schoolish, right? Like it can come from Pokemon cards. It can come from their desire to, to play Zelda faster. It can like be motivated by whatever. And that's what you're picking up on that. They have some intrinsic motivation to want to learn how to decode language on their own. And you're just there to help facilitate that. You're not forcing, you're not pushing, you're already in a relationship that's based on trust, hopefully, right? Like that's the point of this work. And you're just allowing and facilitating and making it easier. And then I personally, I'm in the middle of your course, by the way, everyone who has a child that's learning to read, like take, take Nikolai's course, because it also equips, um, you know, one of my mentors, Lisa Murphy always talks about knowing the language of the wolves. It equips you to speak the language of the literacy specialists or the teachers, or, you know, if your kids in school even when teachers don't mean to, they can make you feel small because they're using these big terms or, you know, the term they're using, you think you know what that word means, but they're using it in a really specific way. I mean, even the first week you, you helped somebody understand what the word fluency means in this terminology of learning to read 
what is fluency? Um, and just having those terms, it's such an empowering thing as a parent to be able to speak the same language as the teacher. So if they're saying, you know, this test score shows blah, 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 you could be like, okay, I know what you're talking about. And, you know, my child now has automisticity. <laughs> like you can yeah. use those big words and, and it kind of puts them back in their place of like, oh, you're not the only person who can teach my kids to read. Like I can empower myself and empower my kids at home because we want to, not because we have to. Absolutely. And then like learn the language and then also share with your children because the same way that you can be overwhelmed by a teacher using that language, so can a child, so much more a child because Mm -hmm. the teachers are also using the language with the children, right? And so it becomes this, this thing where the child feels very, very small and the teacher feels very, very into this skill and this, this, this is where our school trauma comes from. <laughs> and so learn it, teach it to your children because this is their process. And so the school will never, and you should, um, we should all be speaking the same language. And so, yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah, my my daughter, my my daughter and and other children, they they like the science of reading is this. I have this video, it's so cute. So like, you know, once you learn to read, you can decode and you can do this, right? But then you have to understand. So you need this other part of the simple view of reading. This is like it's language comprehension. But like you have to, you know, the more words you know, the more you understand what you read, the more you learn. The more you learn, the more words you know. The more words you know, the more you understand. And mm. like, that's we want to learn things all the time because they have to. They have in this in these other ways, right? Because they will help us read. So now you're understanding even from the SDE, as you understand, like why are you doing these other experiences and how they further. They're not separate, right? So we also say. Okay, we're learning, we're taking information from all of these experiences. They're not separate. They're the same process. They're the same thing, right? And so you will get people that are young people that are interested in all of these other things and all of these ways of absorbing information because they know it becomes part of the tapestry or the background knowledge. And also in the decoding piece, because both are important. It's really cool when young people understand that for themselves and that they have been given that language. Then the motivation to participate in both parts is there because they understand how both parts really equip them. The issue is that we're just not being transparent to children. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're not transparent to children because we're still seeing literacy instruction as a school thing mm-hmm. instead of a technology and a humanity thing. Mm-hmm. And most adults aren't willing to accept the humanity of children, right? They're not, they're not yes. fully human. They have to learn yes. from us. We have to build them. Absolutely. Oh, Nikolai, like, thank you so, so much. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Um, we could go on for hours and we are going to invite you back to continue this conversation <laughs> because thank this is you. so great, but we are just so grateful that you came and joined us. I feel I feel empowered to go out and do more and uh, 
Yeah. So you've got raising readers. You have an amazing course available to parents. Um, remind us what it's called, how often you put that out there and where they can find that information. Yeah, if they want to go to IamRaisingReaders.com, they can, um, they can find me on at, you know, if on Raising Readers on Instagram, I'm there all the time. I feel like I live there. <laughs> <laughs> so slide in my DMs, folks, because I'm there. <laughs> and it's popping in the end. So um, <laughs> yeah, do that. And then in the link in that bio, you will, it's called Home, Home as Epicenter. Because this is what we want to do. We want to center our homes as epicenter and really decolonize literacy instruction. And so it's 12 weeks. You can join. Um, we're doing, we, we're start, we're doing rolling enrollment for the first time because the, we used to only do it twice a year and then people were asking for it every season. And now in the middle of the season, people are asking for it. So now it's enrolled, it's rolling officially but it takes 12 weeks this is what i want people to understand whether you do it whenever you come in it's going to take 12 weeks and because we want to learn the language of the wolves but also because it's not just the science of reading it's the science of being we want to understand our role in it and the science of cognitive learning there's so much that parents just don't know Right. And so we go nice and slow. We build the skill skills and we're really it's not about are the children ready to read? Are you equipped and prepared to support them? Mm. So that's all that is about for me. And so that takes about 12 weeks um, because when we do we think about Mississippi turn their, their district around because they give everybody 45 hours of science of reading instruction, right? When I do the math, what I give you um, as parents is about 45 hours in those 12 weeks when you do the, the lives and the recorded modules and the exercises that you do on your own, you're still in about 45 hours. So essentially, I just recreated what we would do for districts. I recreated for parents from a humanity centering lens. And so it takes some time. It's not like a quick little thing. It's a process. The process will help parents not just learn the skills, but really learn how to shift into this humanity centering space. Mm -hmm. um, so we do that over the course of 12 weeks. And then you feel in community because people that are attracted to this work, you, you work with like-minded parents. So that's really, really cool. Mm -hmm. And I love the title home as epicenter, because I think, like you said earlier, school is inconsequential. You could be in school, you could be out of school, you'd be homeschooling, you'd be unschooling. You can support your child um, through all their learning and home can be the epicenter for all of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. What a great way to push back on the system and, and step out of line. Thank yeah. you for joining us. Thank today, you for Nikolai. having me. Thank you, Candace, too. Thank you. It was great. Bye. Bye. Bye.
It's time to become a member of Playvolution HQ and Exploration's Early Learning. There's a free option and three paid patron-level options. All come with free stuff and ongoing automatic training and merch discounts. For as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron. That supports our work and you get premium stuff like early access to fresh podcast episodes. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash membership or click the link in this episode's description to learn more. All the cool listeners are doing it. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.